The following audio is from Christ Presbyterian Church in Nashville, Tennessee, where our mission is to follow Christ and His mission of loving people, places, and things to life. For more information about Christ Presbyterian Church, please visit ChristPres.org. 126. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with shouts of joy. Then they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us. We are glad. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the Negev. Those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks Thanks be to God. I love this psalm. I love love passages of scripture that that have this theme, uh, and that is the theme of of joy and sorrow in tension. Because with that in scripture is always the promise that joy wins. Uh, Joy prevails in the end. I saw a, uh, I think it was amusement park in Japan uh, has has banned screaming on roller coasters. Did y'all see this? And and the sign that they've posted says uh, it encourages people to scream in their hearts. <laughs> it just makes me laugh because. I don't know, it just makes me laugh. But it got me thinking um, about roller coasters. And uh, I have a brother. So when when I was growing up, up, uh, it was just my brother and I. He's 14 months older than me, so we were tight. And um, he, uh, after high school, he joined the military. So he he was in the army. And um, he is now a... um, a level three chief warrant officer, which is a, a big deal uh, in the military for, uh, it's a high level where he is. And he works in Fort Hood, uh, Texas, and he's a mechanic. He runs a shop that fixes Humvees and troop transports and tanks. And whenever I have visited him there, he takes me out to the big lot full of all these military vehicles and we just climb around on them. Um, but a number of years ago, he, uh, he was called up to do his second tour uh, in the Middle East. And so this time he was going to be in Baghdad uh, working as a prison guard at the maximum security prison at the Baghdad International Airport, which if you remember, um, if you remember uh, Desert Storm and th- there was a deck of cards uh, remember this? And it had all the, the, the terrorists on the, on the deck of cards. This was the prison where they were, uh, um, those who were still alive. And uh, so he was going to spend a year over there uh, in a pretty dangerous situation. And uh, when he learned that he was going, we decided we were going to need to spend some time together before he left because nothing is promised. And so we, we, I bought a plane ticket to go see him in, uh, in Texas He's going to meet me at the Dallas airport. And I told him, I said, you decide what we're going to do. Whatever you want to do, I'm, I'm, I'm down for. And so he met me at the airport. And uh, he, I got off the plane and he said, how do you feel about roller coasters? 
We were both in our 30s. It was a Tuesday morning. And he said, how do you feel about roller coasters? It was, a, it was a pretty grave visit. The reason I was there, you know, and, and, and it was, and, and I knew that I wasn't going to see him again until he had come home. We both knew that we needed to make this visit count. And what he was saying to me was, let's go have fun. Let's do something fun. Let's be brothers having a good time together. And so that is how, on a Tuesday afternoon, a couple of guys in their late 30s were walking around without kids or family, just riding roller coasters at Six Flags over Texas. And it was awesome. And I, I regret, I have a, I'm going to post this later this week. I actually, you know where they take your photo on the roller coaster? I ha- we bought the photo. So I have the photo. I forgot to bring it, but I'll post it on my social media. Um, anyway. <laughs> But we did this, and I think about it all the time, and and I think about it in such sacred terms of what we were doing, because we were having fun, and we were goofing off, but we were not just goofing off. We were making something happen. We were creating something that would last. We were savoring joy in the midst of a complicated uh, situation. And it was kind of a metaphor, right, for, how, for why we had come together in the first place. We were going to ride an emotional roller coaster. And so that's what we were doing. A couple of grown brothers with free range of an amusement park making memories as one goes off to war. How, how do you balance the gravity of life with the joy of being alive? This sermon, I'm, I'm just going to level with you. I feel real emotional today, like I'm barely holding it together. And part of it is because of seeing your faces in the room. And part of it is because this... <laughs> This, the Lord in his, in his um, wisdom and in his goodness to me has made this week a particularly challenging one to put this sermon together. Because what I wanted to do and what I'm attempting to do is to say we have both at the same time. We have joy and we have sorrow, right? And so we have good things that are happening even as bad things are happening. And then I hear, you know, a member of our congregation cuts themselves and damages a nerve in a freak broken glass accident, and my daughter breaks her pinky and has a spiral fracture that they're going to have to do surgery on, and on, and there just feels like there are things that just keep happening. And, and how do you balance the gravity of life with the joy of it? Because we all face this. And maybe you're like me. Maybe, maybe this is the way it works for you. This is how it works for me, is most of the time I'm okay, right? I'm just kind of cruising along. Everything's fine. And then it's like a wave, and it just hits me with the sorrow of what I'm feeling and the difficulty of it and the sadness of it and that feeling of, is, is there no end to what's happening? Is there, is there no end And yet we look at scripture and scripture tells us not just that we have cause to be joyful, but scripture commands us be joyful. And I love the challenge of that because when scripture tells a believer be joyful, it's it's a way of telling the believer be honest. Be honest about the truth. 
And the truth is that no matter what may befall you, it is nothing in comparison to the hope and the joy that is ours. So, and that's what the psalm is about. And so we're gonna just walk through it a couple verses at a time here. But I love this because, because I, I hear the language of this psalm and I think we say things like this today. Maybe we use different terms, but we say things like this today. It starts off, when the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like, it was like a dream. And our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with shouts of joy. The psalmist here is talking about a time when the Lord restored the fortunes of the people of Israel. And it was so good they could hardly believe it. Right? They could, just, they could hardly believe what the Lord had done. It was like a dream for them. And so the image is of a people who had dealt with great loss and they were seeing things restored. So they've known grief and they've known confusion, doubt, questioning the goodness and the presence of God, the things that we feel when we go through seasons of loss. But God restored them. And they're now just, I can't believe it. They're, they're overflowing with joy that this has happened. Things right now are not the way we want them to be, Right? And they're not the way we want them to be in ways that all of us share, but also things are not the way that we want them to be in ways that are deeply personal and very unique to each of us, right? And one of the great promises of the gospel is that the brokenness of this world is going to end. It will one day be Restored. It'll be replaced by the everlasting peace of Christ. This is our hope. This is the hope of the believer. And it's not an empty hope, and it's not pie-in-the-sky hope. It's hope that is founded on what we sang about in the song earlier. It's founded on the real life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And then, when, when that comes to fruition, when that is the only reality. We're going to be like the people here in this passage where it's going to, it's, the difficulty will, be, will have been a little bit like, like a dream, like a fuzzy memory. We'll hardly be able to believe how wonderful things are. The psalm continues. Then they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us, and we're glad. So other nations are observing what the Lord is doing for Israel, and their response is, wow, that's amazing. It's amazing what the Lord has done for them. They're taken back by it, too, that God's kindness to Israel becomes the talk of the nation. Well, how does that happen? How does God's kindness to Israel become the talk of the nation? great question. It happens this way. God's people are glad for God's goodness toward them, and they talk about it. And it's so important for us as a spiritual practice to practice gladness, right? To practice joy, to practice celebration, to practice gladness. How do others see a faithful God at work in our lives? Not only by him working, but by us then responding with gratitude and with joy. And we have reason for this. 
It's really actually a compelling part of a Christian witness in a world like ours that can be so cynical and so jaded and so dismissive and so um, pretentious in dismissing religion as fairy tales. To be people who acknowledge, yes, but do you understand that I live with a profound level of gratitude for mercy and for kindness and for love and grace that has been shown to me by my creator. That's a compelling witness in a world that is without hope. And so it's good for us to practice because the way that the nations around, the way that others from the outside looking in see the goodness of the Lord at work is through the witness of the people of God confessing and testifying and bearing witness to the Lord at work through gratitude and through joy. And here, the psalmist is saying, when the nations heard about the Lord, how the Lord has restored our fortunes, they couldn't believe it either. And so the first half of the psalm is celebrating the Lord restoring the fortunes of Israel to them. And everybody's giddy, right? They, they, can't, they can't believe how good it is. And then we come to the second half of the psalm, and it takes a turn. And I love this turn, especially for where we are now. And the turn is this. You realize as you read the second half that they're in another season of suffering and sorrow, even as they're remembering the Lord restoring their fortunes at this other time. So it's not like the Lord restored their fortunes and now they're like, everything's great. They're remembering how the Lord restored their fortunes and how everything was great during a time when everything's not great anymore. And we discover here that these people, they're in this other season of loss. They're sowing in tears. They're, they're, they're dried up like the desert. They're weeping. They're bone weary. And they're asking God, do it again. Do it again. Restore us again. How do we live in the tension between painful times and the call to live in the joy of Christ? Here's the thing about joy and sorrow that I've observed in the lives of many people, and it's this. Oftentimes, when we bring our sorrows to the Lord over the course of time, a lot of times that sorrow is the same sorrow again and again and again, or it's in the same family of sorrows. It's the same thing that hurts us whether it's somebody that we care about that we're just, that, that feels, feels like we want something for them and we can't give it to them, right? Or it's a place in life where you wish you were in a different place, but this is what you've got. That it's not like it's a new sorrow all the time. A lot of times for us, it's the same sorrow that sometimes recedes and then comes roaring back. But sorrow is a present aspect of the human existence, right? And it's not hard to establish a baseline of sorrow for this year. I mean, here's a partial list. Pandemic, racial injustice and unrest, political upheaval, economic turmoil, lost jobs, uncertain futures, questions about what school is going to be like in the fall, which is not a small thing, especially if you have kids that are in school, right? 
With these things come lost routines, unpredictability, the ability to work, grief over the losses of significant life events like graduation ceremonies, canceled travel plans, canceled celebrations. There's just prevalent anxiety everywhere. But don't you know that while this has all been happening, the Lord has done great things. He's done amazing things. He's been good. Here's a partial list from Cool Springs. It's a very partial list. Some in our congregation have graduated from degree programs or school that you've been in for a long time, and this graduation marks a pivotal turning of a chapter. Some of us have found a vocational groove. Some of us feel in ways that are hard to put words to, but we feel like our chin has been lifted, like the Lord has just brought a peace that passes understanding. Also, we've seen the births of Madeline Phillips and Charlotte Loder and Corinne Perry and Lindley Scheidler, beloved daughters. The Lord has given our congregation four daughters who are a joy to their families and to us all, and we wish they were here. Toby Williams. (laughs) He said, what? Hey, Toby. Toby Williams said what? He heard my voice, and he said what? He's here. After almost a full year, he's getting strong, and he's, it's amazing, it's beautiful. The mocks. Mocks, you're probably watching, because you're always watching, and I love it. The mocks are going through a naturalization process to become U.S. citizens. It's an amazing thing to hear about that journey with them. One of the things that I'm particularly grateful for is this church is for you. I told you. I told you I was barely holding it together. <laughs> Listen. The local church is a good idea. It's a good idea. And we already talked about living in a cynical world that can talk about all the problems with the church. And yes, the church has problems. Of course, it's why it exists, right? The church exists because we have problems collectively. But the church is a good idea. And being a part of the local church moves us from dealing in these straw man criticisms about the church that can be so easily lobbied over the walls of social media to to living alongside actual people who are committed to following Christ together and encouraging each other. It's, it's It's a strange organism, the body of Christ, where part of the reason we exist is to speak words of life and joy and affirmation to one another, to be the lifter of one another's heads. 
And the season of separation has been hard for me because we're almost two years into this at Cool Springs, and I have grown to love you. And it really just wasn't that hard to do, right? And I think what God has done among us here is like a dream. It's an amazing thing. Two years ago, when we were gathering together, I remember C.B. Yoder sitting there. I didn't know C.B. I didn't know her name. I didn't know who she was. She wore her hair down one day, and it was just this awesome silver mane like Galadriel, and I just was struck by the power. (laughs) And I remember, I remember her saying, when I was asking, what do, we, what, do we, what do you guys think we need? What do we need to be about? And I remember her saying, we need to get to know each other and learn to love each other. That's it. Two years in. It's like a dream. I can't believe it. The Lord has done this, right? Jesus, Jesus said, in this life you will have trouble. And we felt it this year. But the Lord has given us so much to, and he continues to. The gospel is a message of hope. It's, it's a message that lifts the chin. One thing we know as followers of Christ is that the sorrow will not prevail in the end. There's darkness, but there's light, and the darkness does not overcome the light. And because we know that sorrow won't prevail in the end, it frees us to do three things, and I'm going to wrap up with these. The first is that it frees us. Because sorrow will not prevail in the end, and joy will, it frees us, one, to acknowledge our sorrow. We don't have to pretend that it's not there. And as Christians, that's a strong witness, to be able to acknowledge our sorrow without hopelessness. The psalm models it, right? We're free to hurt over tragedy and brokenness. So are you somebody who masks pain? Henry Nouwen said, don't you know joy and sorrow are the parents of our spiritual growth? Joy and sorrow are the parents of our spiritual growth. Do you feel like you shouldn't let sorrow in, that part of being a good Christian is not letting sorrow in or struggle? If so, at what cost? You have to shut down parts of your heart to do that. As disciples, we know that this world needs help, but this is our story, is that this world has help, that we have a Savior who has come to the world in need of saving. And so, hallelujah, we can sow our sorrow in tears. No, we can acknowledge it without hope, which leads to the second thing. We can not only acknowledge our sorrow, but we can trust that joy will prevail in the end. Those who sow in tears will reap with shouts of joy. This is one of the many promises in Scripture that no matter what we face, our destiny is perfect peace and joy. That is what awaits us, perfect peace and joy. And it's not an empty promise, but it's one that's backed by a cross and an empty tomb, right? It's a cosmic promise. It's hard because we have an earthbound perspective. We can't help but see things through a mirror dimly, as Paul mentions in 1 Corinthians. It can be hard to take comfort in cosmic promises. But listen, that's not the fault of the promise. 
It's not the fault of the promise of God that it's hard for us to believe it. The limitation there resides with us, right? The comfort that joy will prevail in the end is a balm for us. It's real. This life is a vapor and all shall be well. Which leads to the third and final thing is that we can live in joy now. We can acknowledge the reality of our sorrow. We can trust that joy will prevail in the end and we can live in joy now. We can train our hearts to praise God for his goodness even when we hurt. To train our hearts to live by joy now is to prepare for what we will one day know for the rest of eternity. And so is it inauthentic to seek joy when our hearts are broken? No. It's not inauthentic to do that. I have a friend um, named Ruth Reno. Uh, and I met Ruth when her and her husband, Will, started coming to our church in Kansas City. And Will was in the very advanced stages of brain cancer. And he, he died after a few weeks of, of having gotten to know him a little bit. And Ruth, when people would, would mention Will, she would cry. And when she would talk about Will, she would cry. And, and one of the things that she... Uh, experienced was that when she would start to cry, people would try to change the subject because they felt like they were, uh, they were hurting her, you know, and, which is understandable. She, you know, you, you start talking about Will and she starts to cry. And what she said to me is she said, I don't, I don't want you to stop talking to me about him. Even if I start to cry, I hurt because I miss him. But I also love talking about him. And then she said this. She says, I can feel more than one feeling at a time. And so can we. In fact, that's a mark of spiritual maturity, right? To be able to feel more than one emotion, even conflicting emotions, simultaneously. And the only reason we're able to do that is because joy and peace prevail in the end. I'm able to feel the sorrow and the joy because joy is not a myth. It's the winner. And so I can feel the sorrow and I can celebrate the joy. Eternal, unfettered joy is your guaranteed destiny. And so no matter what state we're in now, the harvest is certain. One day, all we're going to be able to say is that the Lord's restoration was like a dream. It's like a dream come true, perfect. Until then, may our mouths be filled with laughter. May shouts of joy be on our tongue because the Lord has done great things among us. He really has, he really has. We may be riding a roller coaster right now, sowing in tears. But there is a harvest of joy we shall reap for all eternity. Remember this. Pray with me. Lord, my struggle this morning emotionally to even hold it together is because of the great things you have done. You have been so good to us. You've been good to me and you've been good to us. 
and it's everywhere we look. And it can be easy for us right now, Father, to only see negatives, to only see struggle, to only see setbacks, to only see the way that our culture is being impacted by what's happening around the world. And yet, like the psalmist, part of our confession is it's hard to, it's hard to put into words, it's hard to believe how good you have been and how thorough your restoration has been, but it's true. Even as things fall apart around us, the eternal promise, the cosmic element of this promise that our eternity is set when our faith is in you is real. It's not wishful thinking. It's not in the hope that you might do something someday, but it is grounded and rooted in the confidence that you have already done something that is sufficient to restore us to you. And so we thank you for that. Father, as we come to your table now, Lord, I ask that you would um, remind us again through the communion table of, the, of the, the beauty and the wonder of your redeeming and restoring work in giving yourself for us. It's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.